The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We'll be there this morning and tonight, for those of you who come back tonight. We're going to be looking today at Jesus and Lazarus. Jesus and his encounter with Lazarus really is a fascinating story. The bad news is this morning we will not be getting to Lazarus's resurrection. I'm not going to get that far. I've been debating that in my mind. Um, I guess you'll have to be back tonight to hear that. I know many of you are probably busy tonight. There's things going on. I, I get that. I understand that. But for those of us who are here, we'll, we'll see him come out of the tomb. All right. You won't, but we will. Okay, but as we enter this part of Christ's life, we're, we're kind of you know walking through through Christ's life together. Uh, really, a high view of it. We're not going too in depth uh, with it, but uh, just trying to see some things with Christ. We we really are getting to a point now to where uh, this scene that takes place here, Jesus is going to die in just a few days. So we we've really covered a lot of his life, really. Quickly, and then for the next quite a while, we'll be looking at just a real short span of his life. We're going to be looking at him in the upper room in John for, for quite a bit and the things that he had to say there and the way that he showed love to his disciples. And, and so I'm looking forward to that. But I think that this needs to be in our mind as we, as we enter into this passage today is that Jesus knows exactly what is being set in motion by him going where he is going to go to heal Lazarus. It's not by accident of what follows after this, the fact that this really angers the religious authorities and that this really sets them off to say, all right, it's over. We're going to kill him and we're going to kill Lazarus. We're going we're gonna to get this over with. And you'll notice as we go through this that he's not alone in knowing that this was going to happen. Now, the disciples didn't fully understand what was going to happen, but you're going to see Thomas speak up at one point and say, we'll go with you and die because he knew the ramifications of getting close to Jerusalem. Okay? And so we're going to break this down into sections because it's a lot of reading. And uh, today our real focus is just going to be from verse 1 uh, through about verse 27. And we'll, we'll break that up into sections and I'll talk about it and then we'll read on. So first we're going to read verse 1 through 6 together. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord, the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I want to stop there. What we see happening here at the very beginning of John chapter 11 is we see Jesus and the disciples receiving news that that really wasn't good news. Jesus and his disciples are, are close with this family. 
with Mary, with Martha and Lazarus. They had, they had spent time there. They had ate in their home. Uh, you see John even point forward, Mary, the one who wipes Jesus's feet and anoints him, right? And so there's this special bond that we see with not just Jesus, but also the disciples in, in this family. And so when a messenger comes running to them and shares with them this news, this isn't good news. This had to hit home. It, it, had, to, uh, it had to hurt them. I'm sure you've been in this situation before as well, where you get a phone call that maybe you don't want to hear. You get news from somebody that you just didn't want to know because it's so difficult. And it's something maybe that you ended up struggling with. You maybe understand then what Jesus and his disciples were going through. I mean, it said numerous times already in what we read that Jesus, that he loved them, that he, that he really cared for them. Again, this isn't easy to receive difficult news. And it's kind of interesting when you look at Jesus's response, because I, I don't know about you, but when I receive difficult news, I think of how can I fix this situation? Maybe that's how you think. Or, or maybe some people shrink back from difficult news. Right? They just want to fade away from it. They don't want to have to deal with it. But maybe, maybe you're more like me and you, you see this difficult news. Okay, how can we fix it? How can we deal with it? Okay, you, you say, doctor, that it's cancer. What do we do? How do we fight? What are the steps? Right? What must take place here? And so we want to be people of action oftentimes. We want to solve the problem. And you would think Jesus would do the same thing. Jesus being Jesus, hears that his friend whom he loves is sick. You would think he would do one of two things. Tell the messenger, all right, go back, he's healed. Just like he had done before. He had done this before with people. Or he would say, all right, let's go. Let's go. Disciples, let's get your stuff together and let's go see Lazarus. We, we got to go be with him. We got to go care for him. In fact, I'm going to go heal him. I'm going to make sure that he doesn't have to go through this because, because I love him and I, I don't want him to experience pain. I don't want him to have to experience any hurt. But Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. In fact, it can almost be upsetting when we read what Jesus did, right? Look at verse, look at verse uh, five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, okay, he loved them. So, so he healed them. No. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, I know the, I know the grumbles I get when Pastor Tim hears someone's in the hospital and he doesn't drop everything he has to do to go to the hospital to visit them. And listen, I can't heal anybody. In fact, I just make them sicker, probably. I can't do anything for them. I can pray for them, and I can, I can be with them, or whatever the case might be, but I, I can't do anything for them whatsoever, and that can frustrate people, and that's okay. Jesus can heal somebody. Now, if I'm Mary and I'm Martha, I'm probably frustrated. Or maybe I'm Lazarus, and I'm on my deathbed. He's going to stay two more days? Why, why? I thought he cared about me. I thought, I thought that he loved me. And in fact, if, if you look at verse 5, it says the reason Jesus stayed two more days was why? Because he loved them. Now that doesn't make sense to us. As we get through the passage, it hopefully will 
make more sense. But why wouldn't he just drop everything? Why wouldn't he just go and heal the person who is sick, heal Lazarus? Because it really seems like that's the point that the messenger was saying. The messenger didn't come to Jesus and say, hey, will you come and heal him? But it it seems like that's why the messenger was sent. Was so that Jesus would come. But what we're going to see as we continue on, and I want this to be in our minds, is that the most important thing is knowing Jesus more and more. It's not healing. It's not comfort. And that's what Jesus is setting up here. Jesus is setting up a scenario to where Mary, Martha, and his disciples were going to understand the glory of the Lord more in their life and thus be drawn even closer to him. And it was going to take some pain and some suffering to get them to that point. And he did this for them because he loved them. It's important for us to remember as we, as we go through this because that is a hard thing for us to know in our life and to hold on to and to say in those difficult times, the Lord is letting me go through this because he loves me. In fact, I oftentimes hear the exact opposite. I hear, Pastor, I thought God loved me. Pastor, I thought God cared about us. I thought he was a good father who wanted good things for us. If he, if he was so loving, why then this? See, but the truth is he is a good father. The truth is he does love us. And he says this even here. And although it might be difficult for us to understand now, hopefully we will understand it better as we continue to go through this passage. So let's pick it up in verse 7 and we'll make our way through verse 16. It says, Then after this, he said to the disciples, so after two days, he says to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who's called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I'd already told you the disciples knew the ramifications of getting closer to Jerusalem. They had they'd actually fled from Jerusalem. They, they'd got away because they were going to try to kill Jesus for what he was doing. And so the disciples know this very well. And now Jesus is saying, Lazarus is dead. Let us go back. We should have went two days ago if we were going to risk our lives so we could save our friend. But let's know there's no need to go now if he's already dead. We don't need to go and die as well. But Jesus says, no, we're going to go. And then we see Thomas, who most people ridicule often because of his doubting. But he steps up and says, fine, let us go as well so we can die with you. We see some courage in there uh, with with him at that moment. But it's understandable that the disciples are fearful because of what might happen. 
when they get to Bethany. As I said, they'd already left the region to be safe from the authorities. And they're curious as to why now, why does this happen? And then Jesus speaks this parable in verse 9 through 10 that if you're following along, you might say, man, that was, that was awkward that Jesus said that all of a sudden. What, what, is that, what does that mean? And the point that Jesus is trying to make in verses 9 through 10 is very simple. It says there's 12 hours in a day. If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble, right? But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What Jesus was trying to tell them in, a, in the form of a parable was this. I'm in my father's care. And when it is my time to die, I will die. I am safe as long as I am doing exactly what he wants me to do. But now Christ knew this as well, as I'd already mentioned. He knew that the hour of darkness was upon him. And it was time for him to go. It was time for him to get arrested. We, we look, right, even in the very, the very first miracle that we see when Jesus is at the wedding of Cana and they, they run out of wine and his mother comes to him. Do you remember his response to his mother? Not now. Is, is now the time? Now's not the time. See, Jesus knew now, now was the time. And he's saying, listen, my father has me wrapped in his arms. I am completely safe. Just like somebody who walks in the daytime is perfectly safe. But when you go in the dark, now it's, it's not safe anymore. That time is coming for me. That's what he is letting them know through this parable. That time is very soon. It is about to happen. And he, he tells them, he says, Lazarus is asleep. Again, this confuses the disciples greatly. They're like, wait, sleep is a, is a good thing. We don't want to go and wake him up. If he's sleeping, he's going to get better. But then Jesus finally having to speak very plainly to his disciples. And I'm glad he does this because I need this type of talk as well. He says, listen, he's dead. You don't get what I'm saying. He's dead. He's gone. He has died. We also see in verse 15 why Jesus waited until now, don't we? He says, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Now, he's not talking to Mary. He's not talking to Martha. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, so that you may believe. Now, they had been with Jesus for a long time. They had been learning under him for three years. And he says, but I'm glad because I need you to see this. He needs them to see even more of his glory, as we had mentioned before. And he wants them to understand that their faith and the family's faith, Mary and Martha's faith, would soon grow. And it would grow immensely because of what was about to happen and what was about to take place. So let's continue on in verse 17, and we'll read through 27. It says, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. 
do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. We see when Jesus arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days at this point. And this really makes it a big deal about what Jesus is about to do because there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that this man is dead. You see, Jesus had already raised some people to life at this point, but it had been almost instantly after death. It had been right after that. And so there were still no doubt some people who had said they weren't, they weren't really dead. If you go later into Jewish history, uh, the rabbis, I don't, I don't think they did this in Jesus's times, but, but later they would say that the spirit actually would hover over the body for three days. Because on the fourth day is when the body would start to decay. And then it was at that point that the spirit would, would leave the body officially and the person would really could be clarified as dead. Well, Jesus at this point had waited four days. Lazarus had been in the tomb and dead for four days. And so there's no doubt whatsoever that he's gone. He's no longer here. He's passed away. As Jesus approaches the town, we see that Martha meets him out there. Martha hears that Christ is coming and she runs out to him. And I think this really shows us the intentions of the messengers that were sent as we see her talking to Christ. The intentions of the messengers were to get Jesus and to bring him so that he would heal Lazarus. It wasn't just to give him an update. It wasn't just to let you know, hey, your friend is sick. No, the real intention of the family was for Jesus to come and to heal Lazarus because she knew Jesus could heal him. I mean, she says as much. She says, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, he would not have died. I know that. Now, as you go to verse 22, I think some people would really raise Martha up as a figure of faith, wouldn't they? Because after saying, I know if you were here, he would have been healed, she says, but even now I know. Even now I know that whatever you ask will happen. God will give it to you. A lot of people look at that and they say, see, she knew that Christ would raise Lazarus from the dead. But there's a problem with that because that's not true. Because if you look at verse 39, which we didn't read, and you can go ahead and look at verse 39 real quick. When we finally get to the point to when Jesus finally says, hey, roll the stone away from the tomb. There's one person that speaks up with a lack of faith and it's Martha. Martha says, whoa, whoa, Lord, he's going to stink by now. No. Maybe he does, she doesn't want that smell. Maybe she doesn't want to see her brother that way. I, I don't know. But we do see a lack of faith happening there. And so verse 22 can't mean that she thinks Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. That's, that's not what it means. But what it does show is it shows that even though her brother died, even though Christ hadn't come running to heal her brother, she still trusts in him and she does still believe in him. Right? It didn't, that didn't change the fact. Because death had happened, didn't change what Martha thought of Jesus. And so Jesus goes on after verse 22 and says, your brother will rise again. Now, us knowing the story would say, man, she should have got excited right there. He's going to raise him from the dead. But that's not where Martha's mind went at all. Right? Martha doesn't flinch at this statement whatsoever. She says, yes, I, I believe in the resurrection of the last day. I believe that's going to happen. Right? She's, I'm a good Jewish girl. I believe there's going to be a resurrection. And I, I believe my brother will be one of those that rises from the dead 
on the last day. And oh, how we look forward to that day. And so not even flinching, Martha makes that statement. But that's not what Jesus was talking about, was it? Because look, he goes on. After verse 24 and verse 25, Jesus doesn't say to her, good job, your theology is pretty good. Good job, you understand the Old Testament, exactly what we were talking about. No, Jesus says to her what? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus goes on and he tells Mary, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Now, I think we need to do our best to break this down, to understand what Jesus is talking about and what Jesus is getting at when he says something like this. He, he says, I am the resurrection, meaning that it is only through him that the dead can rise again. But he doesn't just stop there because he says, and the life. And so really what he's doing is he's speaking of Lazarus, number one. I am the resurrection. Only through me can Lazarus come back to life. Only, the dead can only live because of me. But Martha, listen to this. It's not just when you die. I am the life as well. So he extends an invitation to Martha. If you believe in me, you will never die. Oh, the dead can be raised, but the living will never die through me. It's an important statement that Christ makes there. He's talking both physically and also spiritually, isn't he? Because we see physically in Christ what he has done for us is he raises us up from our dead state because of the sin in our life. Sin has killed us. Sin has destroyed us. Sin has separated us from God. But what only Jesus Christ can do, because of his death, because of his burial, and because of his resurrection, only Christ can bring your dead life to life. Only him. You can't do it. When you're dead, you cannot take your arms and start CPR. It doesn't work that way. You're dead. You cannot breathe life back into your nostrils. You're dead. You, you can't do a thing. But what Jesus points out here is he says, but I'm the resurrection. I don't need you to do that. I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to revive you. And then it goes on spiritually. I'm the life. When God raises us to this new life, he gives us an eternal life with him. You see, we're all born eternally. When God made you and when he created you and when Psalm 139 says he, he knit you together in your mother's womb, he made you eternally. You're never going to go away. But what we see in Scripture as we study eternity is we see there's, there's really two realities in eternity. There's an eternity of life with Christ forever, through Christ, spending eternity with the Father, worshiping and glorifying and praising him forever, where it says every tear will be wiped away from our eyes, where there'll be no more problems, no more suffering, no more hurting, but we'll get to live in glory with him forever, new heavens and a new earth. But it also talks of another eternal state of where you have to bear the wrath of God for eternity, forever. And that is death. That is seen as death, an everlasting death. And so what we have is we have everlasting death 
and we have an everlasting life. And the statement that Jesus is making here to Martha is he's saying, I am the resurrection from that spiritual death and I am the source of everlasting life. Only me, only me. It can only be done through Christ. And yes, this statement is both future, but it's also present, right? We think about it in a future uh, respect. Will this body die? Yes. Unless Christ returns and I don't have to die, guess what? I'm going to die. Just yesterday, back in that fellowship hall, I had to stand before a family with the remains of their loved one right next to me, as I've done many times. And do you know what that reminds all of us? Life is short. It reminds me that soon, one day, that is me. I'm not promised everlasting physical life in this body. It's just not going to happen. But we know again through Scripture, thinking in the future, that yes, Christ will raise the dead, right? We see that. We see that in Scripture. We cannot deny that. But we also know that this statement is for the present. It's not just good. It's not just for us as Christians to gather together and to sing about the days of glory, which some of you think were the 50s and 60s, but some of you think it's the future, right? The days of glory and glory and glory, and we can't wait for glory. And when we get to go up yonder, we sing these songs together and we talk about heaven and all these different things and we can't wait for that moment. But I think what we miss oftentimes is that starts for us the moment Christ saves us. As soon as he redeems us, guess what? Glory. Oh, glory is mine. I don't have to wait. I don't have to wait for that day to praise him and worship him. I don't have to wait for that day to call him my father, to understand his love for me. No, it's, it's present. When Christ saves us by his grace, we have eternal life now. We are raised from the dead now, and we will never taste death. Never. Oh, this body might fall apart. Oh, so some gunman could walk in here and, and shoot me dead right now, but you've got to know this. I'm not dead. Well, this body has fallen apart, but I don't need this body. I don't need it because Christ has restored my soul, and he promises me I won't die, but that I'll be with him because he is the resurrection and he is the life. But if you read on at the end of verse 26, we get to the biggest question that can ever be asked in all of scripture. After Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, he shall never die. And I have to picture it this way. He has Martha's hands in his hands because she's ran to him. She loves him. They, they care about each other. Lazarus is dead. And so she, she grips him and he holds on to her. And he says these words to her. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he looks Martha square in the eyes. And I wish I could look at all of you square in the eyes right now and ask the same question. Do you believe? That's what everything hinges on. Where you sit right now, do you really believe that? With everything in your heart, with everything in your soul, with everything that can cry out, can't do you feel it to say, I believe wholeheartedly, Jesus, that you are the resurrection, that you are the life, and only one can live through you. 
That's what everything hinges on. Because if you sit here and you say, well, I think Jesus was pretty good and I think, I think he's got to be one of the ways, but I find it hard to believe that these people who are loving and kind, but they, they worship Allah or they, they have their gods that they worship and they do nothing wrong to people. I find it hard to believe that a good God would let them die eternally. If, that, if, that's, you, if that's you today, when Christ asks you this question, do you believe? Your answer is no. That's, that's your answer. If you say, yeah, I, I like Jesus on Sundays, but the rest of the week is kind of mine. Your answer is no. If you say, yeah, but I, I like money and I've got a business and I've got things that I need to do. I've got kids that I need to raise and I want them to experience life like this and I want them to have these things. And if that's what's in your heart and if that's what's in your mind, then your answer is your answer's no. Because the only way that we can look Christ in the face and say, I believe, is to believe it in the way that Martha believed it in verse 27. Because all of a sudden, her faith changes dramatically after this encounter with Christ. Because she says to him, look, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come into the world. What she is declaring at that moment is she's, she's, she's forgotten about the resurrection on the last day. She's understanding you are the resurrection. In fact, you are the son of God. You are God. You are fully God. And you are the one that we've been waiting for. You are the Messiah that's come into the world to save us of our sins. That is what is held in her statement there. And she is declaring to him, you are my Lord, and I believe in you. I trust in you with everything that I am. And that's where we have to be as well. The time of being a nominal Christian is gone. And if you want it to go back to those days, to me, those are some of the bleakest days in the history of the church. To when all it took to be a Christian was to be on the role of some church, to show up, every once in a while, or maybe even every week, and you are considered a good Christian person. Oh, you may have never cracked your Bible. You may have never told the good news to a single soul, but you are on that roll. You were baptized in that water, and so you have to be saved. But yet you've never really given your life to the Lord as your Savior. You've never really turned it over to him to say, listen, you are my everything. Whatever you desire for me, I want to do. I want to serve you. I want to love you. Why? Because you are the son of God. You are the one that we've been waiting for. Now we see ourselves in Martha. And we see it in what I've already told you in verse 39. Because Martha declares this, you are my Lord, you are my Lord. And so we see this real change in her heart. And only a, a few minutes later, I don't know how much time elapses from when Jesus talks to Martha and then he talks to Mary and then he goes to the tomb. Let's say maybe an hour. But we get a picture of Martha coming forward, kneeling at the altar. You are the son of God. And then Jesus says to her just an hour later, hey, roll the stone away. And Martha says, oh, he stinks. We already see a weakened faith. I'm not saying that in order for the Lord to be your savior and you truly trust in him, that you never fall. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you never, that you never fail. I'm not, ever, I'm not saying you never 
look and say, wait, Lord, really? This? I'm supposed to do this or I've got to do this? I'm not saying perfection and it becomes a part of your life. I'm not saying that at all. Because we see that with Martha. It's a bowing down before him and trusting him to be who he says that he is. To trust in the work that he has done for you. And to stake your whole life on it. Now, how that works out in your life is different for some. For some, God sends around the world. For some, he plants them right where they are and says, I want you to be faithful right here. I want you to be faithful to your local church. I want you to be faithful to your spouse. I want you to be faithful to your kids. And I want you to be faithful to those who I put in your life. All of those are important. And that is what we should strive to be is people who love the Lord. Despite our circumstance, despite our situation. You see, when Martha declared this in verse 27, Lazarus hadn't been risen from the dead yet. She didn't know what he was going to do. The pain and the hurt of death for her brother was still raw, was still very, very real. But that doesn't change the truth that Christ is who he says he is. It doesn't change anything. Whatever you're going through right now in your life, whatever situation you may be experiencing, however you feel when you walk into this building, can I, can I tell you what? It doesn't mean anything. What means something is the truth of the gospel, and it's real, that, it, that it's true, and that you can answer the question, do you believe this? Yes. Wholeheartedly, I believe this. I do believe if more of us would declare yes to that question, a lot of church problems would fade away. You know that? A lot of insignificant things would just go to the wayside. A lot of problems in your life with your family would kind of dissolve because you'd see how foolish they are to hold on to those things. The question that I want to linger in this room this morning is the same question Jesus asked. Do you believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? That it's only through him the dead can be raised and the living can never die? I hope you can say you do. If not, I hope God changes your heart even this morning for you to say, Jesus, I believe in that. I'm not trusting in anything else. I'm not trusting in my past. I'm not trusting in what some person told me a long time ago. God, I am trusting in Jesus, the son of God, the one who has come into the world to save me of my sins. If you would bow with me and close your eyes. I don't know how you need to respond to the word of God this morning, but I do know this. Every single one of us in here needs to respond to his word doesn't necessarily mean you have to come forward and kneel down at these steps and pray. But in some way, shape, or form where you're sitting right now, you need to respond to God's word because the question is for all of us. Do you believe this? It's very personal. And when you walk out of here in the next five to 10 minutes, you're going to answer the question, whether you want to or not. And the question, it's either going to be yes or it's going to be no. No. 
And everything hinges on that. And my prayers with every head bowed and every eye closed that God even right now is breaking some hearts to trust in him for the first time. Or maybe he's breaking the hearts of some Christians who've been Christians for a long time, but their heart has kind of grown callous to what Jesus has done for them. That we would seek forgiveness of that. But I trust you'll respond how God leads you this morning. Let's pray. God, help us to respond true to your word. Help us to respond honestly. God, on a very personal level, we need to deal with our relationship with you. It's not about maybe what our parents have told us about what we did when we were younger or about what some, some church authority figure has said to us or done for us. But God, it's how we answer that question. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and that I am the life? God, oh, how I pray. I've prayed this week and I continue to pray now that people would answer that with a resounding yes. I do. Not by their power, not by their intellect, not by their might, but God, because of your grace in their life, showing them the truth. Some in here, God, I know have been teetering on that question for a long time. And God, I pray that today they would make a decision for you to trust in you that you would break down those walls, that you would break apart those chains and free them from their sin so that they can experience life and life abundantly in Christ. God, I pray that the things of this world would not hinder them, that they would not be thinking of those things, that they'd lay all that stuff down at your feet for the savior of the world, for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God, I trust in you to do your work in this place as we close with this song we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.